Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor. Hey everybody and welcome to Talking Late Night. I'm your host Max Cantor and today on the show I have a stand-up comedian from Indianapolis, Indiana. He's a writer for the nationally syndicated Bob and Tom radio show and is the writer and illustrator of the Uncle Frank comic strip. Along with that, he is a very, very successful stand-up whose jokes have been featured all over the United States and on Sirius XM's comedy channels. So please join me in welcoming to the show Brent Terhune. Welcome to the show, Brent. Hey, Max. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. You know, you are my uh, first guest. First guest, um, I think, from a state that is not Georgia, New York, California, or Florida. Yeah, you're the first one. Well, it's an honor, and I appreciate the plaque you sent me in the mail. (laughs) That's uh, right. Commemorate this uh, occasion. (laughs) You know, uh, we're going to have to keep that on the DL because now every guest is going to expect a plaque. When they're on the show, yeah, but... I know you're gonna have to have, have fifty plaques. That's quite, <laughs> yeah. quite, you have quite the budget on the show here. That's right. O- only for a new state, though. Only for a new state. <laughs> what? Yeah. Re- repeats don't count. It's only new states. Only for pioneers. Ex- exactly. You are true. You're you're pioneering Indianapolis onto this show, onto Talking Late Night. So that's is that a lot of pressure for you that the entire city rests on your shoulders? Yes, it's. Um, I'm sure to let everybody down. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll probably the mayor will be calling you, the governor, everyone because of this monumental moment in everyone's life. Yeah, it's very true. I'm, I my hotline is uh, is buzzing right now, even though this is not live. Uh, <laughs> somehow they got a hold of me. They know. Just people in Indianapolis know. Yeah, are people in Indianapolis nice? Is that is it known for being a nice city? I would. I mean, I don't know if it's if it's an Indianapolis thing or an Indiana thing or a Midwest thing, but I find that most people here are overly friendly or very friendly. But I, I guess I I try to be friendly or overly friendly just because you know that's the way you should treat people. That is. Um, yes. But then you travel and and you know sometimes if you're traveling with other people like in an airport or whatever, I get people tired and frustrated. So. But I, I think for the most part, I feel like Indiana is a, a nice place. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but obviously I'm, I'm not with you face-to-face right now. We're over the phone. But just the way you talk, you sound like a very nice person. Like, like I, would, I would trust you if I got a flat tire and you pulled over to help me. I would not think you were a serial killer. I would trust you in assisting me. Well, that's what us evil people want you to think. Oh, oh. Oh, so what? So are you saying? Are you saying all the nice people from the Midwest are secretly evil, but they just hide it? Yeah, we seriously, we we all secretly just have like a tire iron ready to crack <laughs> you in the back of the head. No, uh, I don't know. I, I guess I was just raised. I don't know. My parents are nice. Oh, well, uh, I guess I'll give the credit to them, I suppose. And, you know, to talk a little bit about you being raised um, when it comes to comedy. So growing up, uh, what types of like late night television or just comedy TV or movies, what influenced content wise you and your comedy? Um, I, I, My first example, I don't know if you'd be able to tell because I don't know, sometimes I need 
people tell me what my comedy is like, you know, you get an outside perspective, but I, I always watch um, Jay Leno on the Tonight Show, even though David Letterman is from Indianapolis. That was, you know, when I was a kid, that never really occurred to me. I didn't even know that, but I always started with Leno and he would do like those 15 minute monologues mm-hmm. of jokes. And I could, you know, I still remember some of these monologue jokes that he would do. Like I remember one of them was that, I think somewhere in China, they found a three-eyed man. So uh, Dr. Tavel said they could make him glasses in about 90 minutes. Because, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think their slogan, it was Dr. one of those eyeglass places, like glasses in about an hour. So like, well, we can do it in 90 minutes. It's just a dumb thing that I remember him saying, you know. Right. So you were, um, you were watching it primarily for his monologue. The mo- Yeah, the monologue, because the guest is, you know, I, even today, I don't know. I'm more aware of who's on the show, but it, even as a kid, I was like, I don't know any of these people. Maybe there's a comedian at the end or a band that I like. Right. But it was mostly for the monologue, and then if you did headlines or some kind of jaywalking type thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Did you get into it because your parents were into it? No, it was just kind of, I was one of those kids that had a TV in his room and I was up late. I've always been somebody that's up late anyway. So I don't know why it was, it was, you know, I chose the Tonight Show or Jay Leno, maybe because it was, there weren't any cartoons on. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, it, it, you know, I wonder for you too, um, was, because I, I've never actually talked to somebody from Indiana, like you mentioned, the, the home state of David Letterman. It, at that time, I know you weren't watching him, but was he being like heralded as a as a hero or like the most famous Indiana citizen? Um, I I don't know if you know because uh, I was a, I was a kid, but probably. I mean, I think you know if you have somebody from your your you know area, you cheer them on. It's like if you have a sports team or whatever. Um, and I know you know the comedians around here. Uh, nowadays, you know, they, they'll say that they're always, you know, Letterman fans, which when you compare the, the work now, when you watch it, I'm probably more of a Letterman fan than Leno now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's because, you know, he went to the high school that's 20 minutes away from me. I've done a show at that high school. So it's weird to, to be like, oh, that guy, you know, went on and, you know, was on TV for, I don't know, 20 years or however he was, you know, on TV. It's weird to think that somebody from my town can do that you know Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it just goes to show that any i mean you don't have to come from a big area or a well-known area you can come from anywhere and be successful if you have the skill set to do it yeah for sure it's it's one of those where it's just it's a thing where you just have to leave that area you know what i'm saying (laughs) like it's very hard to to get anything rolling i think unless you're in the place where the opportunity is. That's not for everybody, you know, but I think that's always how it kind of works. You go to New York, L.A., and that's just how it kind of works, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you, so since you believe that, do you ever in the future see yourself moving to New York and L.A. to pursue stand-up? I, I think I would like New York over L.A. Um, and I probably would have moved by now, but I'm uh, – I help my mom out. She's got some health problems. So that's kind of what I, when I stay, you know, I stay in Indy and it's centrally located to work the road, which I do all the time. Mm-hmm. Or I try to at least, you know, mm-hmm. that doesn't always work out. Uh, but 
So that's kind of what I, you know, why I'm still an, an Indianapolis uh, kind of guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like throughout this interview, we're just going to hear more and more reasons of why you're a good person. I just get that. I just get that <laughs> feeling of because at first we're talking about how you're how you're kind at the beginning because your voice sounds nice. Then you talk about how you help take care of your mom. It's just <laughs> we're gonna learn all different types of things about you during this interview, Brent. I don't know what it's gonna be, but we're gonna learn a lot. So growing up, when you're watching Jay Leno, um, and you're attracted to him and you're attracted to the jokes that he's telling, did you know that that's what you wanted to do? Um, I, I guess looking back, I went to I went to Catholic schools, and when you you know go from eighth grade to high school, they they kind of make I don't know if it's the same with public schools, but they make a bigger deal of like you know, oh you're moving from eighth grade to high school, and I remember we had this this kind of like a yearbook thing, and it's like what do you want to be when you grow up type thing, and I remember I said I wanted to be a radio DJ or I wanted to be a stand up comedian, and I've kind of done both those things mm. uh, already. So I guess kind of I, I wanted to do that, but you know I didn't I didn't really know that was a job. You know I didn't know you could make a living doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. So when when you said that, how did how in Catholic school how do they take uh, comedians? Is it encouraged or were you discouraged from being funny? I think I was I was a comedian, but I wasn't a class clown. If that makes sense, because you hear a lot of. Comedians would be like, oh, I was the guy that was always getting in trouble. I never, I was a good student. I was, I was never getting in trouble, but I would, I could make a joke at the appropriate time and it would get a good enough laugh to where if I was, you know, speaking out of turn, it was too funny to not acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So you never, like you said, you never got in trouble or you never went out of line with your comedy. Yeah, it was, and, you know, I just, I guess it was kind of right place, right time, and I was, you know, I always had funny friends around me, so I think that it's not even like so and so is known for being funny. It's just like we're all funny because that's who we are. You know. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first moment that you realized that you could make people laugh? Yeah, I was. Uh, I was real little, and I was learning ABCs, my ABCs, and you just—I was just writing letters and showing it to my mom. And uh, so I'd write some letters, show it to her, what's this say? And she goes, oh, that's nothing. And then I showed her one, and she started laughing. And I go, what's that say? And she says, it's the word ass. So that was, I remember my first laugh was just writing the word ass. Wow. my mom. Wow. And so when you are getting older and you're in high school and you're still watching uh, Jay Leno and his monologues, did you start? writing your own stand-up and at what age did you start doing stand-up um i started when i was 16 in high school at a catholic high school there's a trend to my life i guess uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so i would i would end up just staying up later because i remember leno came on at like eleven thirty-five, and then i ended up staying up later and later and then then my guy even now is conan mm. um so that's, I think, where I developed a lot of my sense of humor, I think, is kind of absurd, silly, funny characters type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I, I be, you know, then I was like, well, Conan's way better than Jay Leno. Uh, and then so, you know, when I was 16, I was just at my high school, we had these things called, you know, uh, coffee houses. So it was just more or less an open mic and you go and 
some people would do poetry, some people would do acoustic guitar. And I was like, well, I'm going to try jokes. And I guess part of me looks back and I was like, I was dumb enough to think I could do that. Yeah. Uh, so I went up and did it and it was, I thought it was fine. Uh, so then like every three or four months I would perform at this, at this coffee house thing. So that's how I got started. Do you remember uh, your first time doing it? How did it go? Did you get laughs or did you bomb? I think I got laughs, but it was because every, you know, I was, I think maybe a sophomore. So, that, you know, I wasn't a popular kid, but I think in that environment, people, you know, I was doing something different that nobody else was doing. And I think I had, you know, I was doing voices and stuff like that. So I don't think I bombed at all. I think people were more, you know, like, oh, this kid's doing jokes. I didn't know that you could do that type thing, you know. Mm. Do you remember the first joke that you've ever written? Uh, I know, like, the first group of jokes, because now I have, like, I, w I went on to do, like, the talent show a couple times. So those are, I have those up somewhere on DVD of me doing jokes, and I remember those, and some of the topics were, like, you know, having red hair, even that back then I knew you kind of had to address how you look. <laughs> um, you, you know, you just got to, because especially having red hair, it's, it's different than most people. So mm -hmm. you, that's what people, you know, comment on. And I remember having jokes about uh, this character that I have uh, called, um, his name is Uncle Frank. So it's, it's essentially everybody's uncle. Everybody's got an uncle like that. So my brother and I would do just this voice of talking back and forth. Uh, kind of like a New York accent, and he's just kind of everybody's sleazy uncle. So I made a story about him, uh, and I remember, yeah, so that was probably two or three minutes, like longer than I should have been on stage for. <laughs> in in high school and middle school, um, let me ask you, so it's going to sound weird when I ask, but I have a reason for my question. Um, were you ever teased or bullied for having red hair? No, um, I mean, it was it was Catholic school, so I think people were just nicer. I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, I was I was also a fat kid, uh, <laughs> but I, maybe it was one of those things where I could I could be funny enough to where I wasn't bothered by that kind of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to ask: is if anybody was like making fun of you, did you ever combat that with humor, and did that make you a stronger person or a quicker person in your comebacks i i think so and, and it's one of those where you make the joke about you before anybody else can make it's a defense mechanism of you know you can't you can't make fun of me because i already i just did that you right. know type thing right you already acknowledged it so what is there to make a joke about yeah if i if i air all the dirty laundry right now then you can't it's like watching jim norton mm -hmm. do stand up i mean that guy has no secrets so it's like you can't be like oh yeah you were with a hooker and he's like yeah i was i talked about that <laughs> right. uh, numerous occasions so it's yeah so it's one of those where you address it and then nobody can say anything about it you know right so in high school as you're nearing the end of high school and you start like planning for college and everything did you plan college around comedy or did you have your mind that you were going to go all in in radio um, I, it was both. I went to a university here 
an Indianapolis called University of Indianapolis. Uh, I don't know where they got the name from. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I went for radio, and then then I kind of tailored my education around uh, like PR, and I, I would have done more like Photoshop stuff, but that was not really something that they offer unless you're kind of an art student. Mm. Um, but yeah, I kind of like once I got my first host week at the club here in Indianapolis, like I, just getting the week and, and doing stand up for five, five nights in a row for 10 minutes at a time, that was already like the, you, you didn't even have to give me a check because that was already the goal. That was payment enough. And then I remember they gave me a check afterwards. I was like, oh, you get paid to do this. Um, so then it kind of clicked in my head. I was like, oh, you can, you can actually, I don't know, make a living or make some money doing this. Mm-hmm. So then that was my freshman year of college. So then I really kind of tailored my education. So I did a lot of PR to learn how to, you know, do press releases and stuff like that uh, to kind of represent myself, you know, cause I, I knew nobody was going to do that for me besides me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you mentioned hosting at a comedy club. Um, what is, what is a host's role? What is their job at a stand-up comedy show? Um, well, I think it just depends on, you know, if you're at a club venue, if you're, if you're at a theater, it's, essentially it's, it's your show, but it's not your show. Like, the way I look at hosting now is kind of like you're hosting a late night show where you're, you're the star, but you're not, you're kind of the guy that's a representative. And I'll say, you know, I brought some funny friends with me, even though I've, I've never met these people, I'm kind of the bridge between the audience and the other comedians. So, mm-hmm. um, you put people at ease, you warm them up with jokes. Um, and you kind of set the tone for how the rest of the show is going to go. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a when you were hosting? Have you ever had an audience member or an audience that just like did not like you and but liked the comedians? Oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even like I still host sometimes. If you know, if I'm in town, I'd rather work than not work. So you know, and sometimes you get you know hired to host something and it's for charity or whatever. And it's some of those things where it's like they didn't know that there was comedy or they don't get that you're a comedian. So if you make jokes, they're like, why is this guy trying to be funny? It's almost <laughs> like the person that hired you knows that knows that you're a comedian, but everybody else is kind of, I'm just a guy that doesn't work there. Type yeah. thing. So yeah, I've, I, and I've done a show where it was like, a, you know, 80% of the audience was like a, a fraternity or sorority. I don't know, remember what it was, but they were not there to see comedy. They were just there to have a night out. And from me to the feature to the headliner, nobody cared. Like, and it, it, you feel bad for the, the rest of the audience that's there to see the show. But I, can you kick out a hundred people? I mean, <laughs> right. I, that's the, so yeah, you just have, sometimes you just have shows where it's, you know, you always in the back of your mind, you have to say, well, there's another show tomorrow. Right. You know, or whatever your next show is. Sometimes you can't get right. up on that kind of thing, I think. Right, exactly. So do you, have you ever been heckled before? I mean, it's, I maliciously heckled where somebody's out to just be mean maybe once or twice, but usually it's people 
that are out to have a good time or they don't realize that they're messing up the show. Um, mm-hmm. They're just loud people, drunk people, and they're not trying to be like, hey, you suck type of thing. Um, I, one time I did one and it was, uh, I was hosting and I, I was just a young comic, so I didn't want to like say anything out of turn. So I think I could come back and, you know, host the show again. But I just asked the lady, this lady up front, I was like, Hey, can you keep it down? Cause it's clear she was just ruining the show. Not even five minutes into my set. And she was like, Hey, fuck you. That's what she said to me. <laughs> and you know, now I would, I would have, you know, I'd just be like, hey, well, then you can go. You can get, I would have kicked her out of the show. But as a young comedian, I, I didn't know how to handle it. So I just was like, I tried to play the victim card. And, but the audience wasn't really, they wanted me to say something to her. And I just didn't do that in the moment. But now, I, you know, I would have stood up for myself a little bit better mm. in that instance. Gotcha. And then another. Another time, this is a funny one that I tell people, but I got to open up for the that show called Impractical Jokers. It was kind of a, a fluke thing where I just got to open up for these guys one time in this theater in, in Akron, Ohio. So it was like 2,500 people, the biggest audience I've ever had. And I walk out and somebody yells, you suck. Like I haven't <laughs> said any jokes. And somebody just yells, you suck. And I was like, all right, there's. And I was like, all right, there's one asshole in every audience, so that got a laugh. <laughs> uh, but it was just that's something. If I saw that in the movie, I would think that guy in the audience was hilarious, <laughs> right? Because I I've not said any jokes, and you're already heckling. I thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's different when you're the dude on stage, you know? Right, right. Wow. Well, if that one lady is listening to this show, uh, I I'm not a fan of her. I don't like her. There you go. We we got well, her I, back. We got. I don't think you give out free tickets to this podcast, so I don't think she's able to afford to come out. <laughs> See, that's what I should have said. Something like that, but in hindsight, you know, eight years later, you come up with something funny. <laughs> right after eight years of thinking about it, you have an amazing comeback, and now it's just about we got to track her down. Eight years later. Yep. And we gotta find her and make sure that you can win this. I'm invested now. You have me invested in this. Um, so Brent, let's talk a little bit about you and your radio career because I know you've done a lot of stuff for radio. Um, but you describe it. What do you do for the radio? Well, I that role has changed in college. Uh, you know, I was on air. We had a, a radio station that was a jazz station, so. Uh, I knew, I knew nothing about jazz. Most people that work, there don't, it's just kind of, <laughs> they put you in that format so you can learn how to be on the radio and, and tailor, you know, if I went to work for a country station, I'd have to listen to country and learn about country. Right. So that's part of just being a DJ. Um, but I, I was on air and then I did production. So that's where I've done a couple podcasts of my own. Um, and I've, I've just produced a, a comedy album for somebody. So that was kind of another thing of to learn how to, to just be self-sufficient uh, in school. In hindsight, I wish I would have done more video uh, stuff as well, but that, that was college. So that's, you know, do, you know, being on air, doing DJ stuff, announcing songs or whatever. And then when I was a junior in college, I got an internship with this radio show called Bob and Tom um, which is a syndicated show out of Indianapolis. So I was writing jokes for them, kind of like late night monologue type jokes 
go, you know, going back to Conan or watching Leno. Um, so I would write those jokes. And then after four months, after my internship was up, Tom, one of the, you know, Bob and Tom, Tom was like, Hey, we're, we're just going to have you, you know, do this as a job. So, um, I've been doing that ever since. So that internship worked out for you because that is a yeah, good I mean, deal. That was the goal. Right. So, <laughs> I, I, Oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was, I was saying I had a friend who was already doing that job. Uh, Jeff Oskay is another uh, great comedian from Indianapolis, but he was already kind of doing that job. So I knew that was, I knew that was a possibility. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to, to do what he did. So at the end of it, I got hired. So now we both write for the show. That is um, very cool. You know. That, yeah, that is very cool. Do you have to do you have to write jokes every single day for the show that's going to be the next day or tomorrow? Yeah, so we'll we'll do it Sunday to Thursday and then I think we do like 2 weeks off in December and then like one in July. But for the most part, we're writing every night. Wow. For how long? For how long? You you know, usually it's an hour. That's what I'm I'm told to write for is an hour, but you know, some nights I'm I'm funny and I'm done in thirty minutes, mm-hmm. and some nights it takes me two to three hours. Mm-hmm. How many um, jokes do they require? It's and it's not really a per joke thing. It's kind of time, and uh, I, I think one thing that Tom realizes that you know sometimes the news cycle, uh, sometimes the story is already funny enough that it that whatever I write can't top what happened in the. <laughs> In the in the news, and sometimes the news is boring, and you can't you know write anything off of you know something that's that's just bland and boring. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's an hour a night is what I you know kind of the guidelines. And I've I've written some you know like fake commercials and and produced bits too, but mainly now it's more kind of like a monologue type thing of just writing topical jokes. Is it difficult for you because you write these jokes, but the 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 DJs are saying them on air, so you don't get that instant reaction of laughter? Is that hard for you to sit there and just think about? You know, you don't know if it really was a hit or if it was a miss. Um, I don't know because you know on Bob and Tom, there's three other people in the room, so maybe if if you can make those people laugh that have been doing that for thirty years, then I'm like, oh, that was a good joke. Right. You know, type thing. Um, yeah, and sometimes Tom will say a joke. I've written it one way, and Tom will say it a different way. You know, and he would know better than I how to say something. And sometimes I'll get a laugh from my own joke. Like, I'm laughing at my own joke because yeah. of the way he said it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, yeah it's, it's just a different animal when you're you know you're throwing jokes out into the universe and you you don't, you know, maybe I made that guy in this car laugh. I don't know, but that's the one thing is you kind of just have to hope that it's funny, you know. Have you ever taken a joke that you wrote for their show and you liked it so much that you kept it and incorporated it eventually into your stand-up? Yeah, I w- I've done that a couple times. Um, mainly, I, I, I've done that a couple times, but they never really stick in my act. It's not like something where I've, done it like you know for years maybe it just kind of did it for a couple weeks because mm. it was you know fun to me right. um and i've tried to do like monologue jokes on stage two where 
you know, some some nights I'm like, well, I'm gonna I I wrote a whole bunch of monologue jokes. Let me try them out on you guys. Yeah, right. Um, and I sometimes I do it that way too. Um, but I guess my act is different than those type of jokes. Or and there's always something where you can, unless the huge news story where it's like an O.J. Simpson joke, where you can tell that's a dated joke. But sometimes you can be like, did you hear about the guy who did? you know, did the thing in Arkansas and it's one of those things where it really did happen, but you kind of play it up of like, Oh, it was last week instead of two years ago type that where you make it evergreen. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, right. And um, so go ahead. Oh no, uh, you're, you're on a roll. I enjoy listening to you talk about this. Keep going. Um, yeah. I, so I've done it. I've done jokes like that maybe for a couple of weeks and then, uh, you know, I'll forget about it or I just kind of drop it because I want to, work on more personal things. Um, there was a, a guy, I don't know if you ever heard of a guy named Ron Shock. Did you ever hear of that guy? Mm-mm, no. He was a, a, one of like one of the Texas outlaw comedians. So like, if you know, Bill Hicks, Oh, okay. Bill Hicks was kind of that guy. And then, uh, Ron Shock, I think is from Houston, but he, like he has videos on YouTube. He's since passed away, but he has jokes of like, where he makes it evergreen where he's like, did you hear about, the, you know, the guy that uh, jumped out of the window, or no, is a lady that jumped out of the window and fell down on top of the guy that just broke up with her <laughs> type thing, where, like, that's a real news story, but he, you know, he takes it and he'll, he'll make you think it was last week type right. of thing, where, you know, he's kind of fibbing on when it happened, mm-hmm. but that's a, a different way to make it evergreen. That's, like, somebody I would tell people to go watch and See if they want to take something from the news and make it a real bit, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to kind of a one-off, and then you know you get a new set of jokes next week type thing. Right, and uh, because you work for a nationally syndicated uh, radio show, are there any radio secrets that you would like to reveal? Uh, I don't. If I if I know any, I don't know that I know any. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here I'll, um, I'll ask you this. Uh, what's the trick? to uh winning a radio contest um you have to be the ninth caller and you have to call in and say the phrase that pays uh (laughs) i don't know uh sometimes it's just uh you're at the whim of the dj you know if they say caller 96 they're not answering 96 call nobody's calling like that many people's not calling so i don't know what i guess answering and being charismatic right off the bat maybe if i'm like Oh, I like this guy. I want him to have these tickets because I, I gave away tickets on the air too to people when I was, you know, on air. And it was, you know, sometimes it's just you. It's already in your head of like, well, this guy won. I didn't even answer it yet, but this person already won. So right. I think, uh, I think it's part of it's just right, right place, right time kind of thing. So when a radio station says uh, the ninth caller, how do you guys actually count to nine? How do you count the first eight? calls well yeah that's the thing sometimes it's you know it's not the ninth caller it's the first person who calls or you know uh and sometimes it is the ninth caller if you're giving away some ticket a very popular ticket it might be nine calls or it might be the 20th caller you never know Mm -hmm. okay so that i guess that's a radio secret is to tell you that it's all bullshit (laughs) 
<laughs> it's it's all fake. That's that's the secret. Yeah. Is it's all fake. So uh, now I want to talk a little bit about you and and your comedy. So what do you talk about in your stand up? What what content do you touch on? Uh, I can tell you that what I write now versus when I started. Like when I started, it's kind of I had these I had these jokes that I wrote, and now I'm gonna kind of bend them to make them personal. Mm. But now I kind of take what's happening in my life and and try to make it funny. Mm-hmm. So one's like kind of like a joke machine versus one is personal with jokes in it, I guess. Um, and I, you know, I, I think a lot of comedians will be like, I'm just trying to be more personal. Um, and sometimes I think that sucks that they're just not able to make their personal life funny. And some some people are just joke writers. You know, which I think sometimes I'm a joke writer. That's what I do. And then sometimes I can take something and make it funny. That's happening in my life. Um, so it's, I guess it's the difference between like Jerry Seinfeld versus, you know, Louis C.K. Louis talking about his daughters and stuff like that. And Jerry Seinfeld not really talking so much about himself, but he's talking about a concept. You know right. what I'm saying? Drug right. stores or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I, I guess. Maybe, maybe I'm a hybrid of both. I'm not saying I'm not that good as those guys at all. I'm just saying maybe I approach it with a joke writing format, but I'm, it's more of a personal topics, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Okay. So for you, what's easier? Oh, um, I don't know. It just depends on, I guess, what I'm talking about. Like I, I don't know. Sometimes it's it's funnier to write a joke because it, it's just a joke. You know what I'm saying? Like it's more fun to make you laugh at something that's not that relatable. Mm. You mm. know? But then sometimes it's also you get their satisfaction and and people being like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about type thing too. It, I guess it just depends on topic to topic. I don't think there's really a, a clear answer there, I guess. Mm. Okay. And what is your writing style? Are you the type of person who, like Jerry Seinfeld, is going to sit down and write everything out word for word? Or are you the type of person who just gets concepts and you just play with them on stage? I think it's a little bit of both because when I sit down to write, I feel like some of the ideas I'll have it's like I'm thinking too fast to write it because I, I actually sit down and write in a notebook because if I'm on a computer, I'm doing 10 other things, you know, because <laughs> it's so easy to get distracted by different alerts popping up or whatever. Right. Um, so now I just kind of write an outline of ideas and maybe if the idea is relying on me saying a certain, you know, saying something a certain way, then I'll write it out. And then by the time I take it up on stage, I've forgotten half of that. So now it's me playing with a concept anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so and and so you know maybe I'll just do it a couple times to see if there's anything here. Uh, I don't I don't ever throw anything out because maybe in five years I'm funny enough to make that funny, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's right. I tell people just to save everything because you know I take I've gone back and looked old at old notebooks and being like ah. Oh, I'm dumb. I should have just said it this way. And it's, it's funny now, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but I, I guess it's a hybrid of, um, 
writing it down and then just taking it on stage and kind of being loose with it and, you know, seeing where it goes. Some of the bigger laughs I have have come from just me improvising a line and then remembering it for later. Mm. I can think of a couple instances where I've said it and then I'm like, well, that's part of the joke now. So I think there's pressure and there's a pressure that, at least for me, that brings out funny. You know, you you throw it out and you hope it's funny type thing. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So you travel um, all over the United States constantly doing stand-up. What keeps you motivated and still mentally checked into it when you're doing it night after night after night? Uh, I guess I think for for me it would just be new jokes and new concepts. So, like, you know, if I'm doing a half-hour set, you know, maybe maybe that particular night, I'm nothing I say is new except for this 20-second joke. And in my head, I can't wait to get to that joke. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, and, and, you know, if, I'm, if I don't have anything new, sometimes I'm also, I've, I'm very loose because I know the jokes that I'm saying are funny. And I'll just start talking off script a little more because mm-hmm. I, I know that I can always take the, you know, take the show back on the rails because I know what I'm about to say is funny coming up, <laughs> but maybe I'll take a different way to say it, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So I, but I guess in short, new jokes, new concepts, new material makes me like stand up over and over again. Mm. How often uh, do you have new material? Would you say every day or every week? Um, I, it's definitely not every day. And it's probably, it, it's always like a new concept. So maybe a, a new joke will be six months old. And, and maybe it took me a month to even figure out to get a, a laugh from that joke. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's like, I don't think once you say something on stage, it's not new anymore. So maybe, maybe it's, you know, a six month old joke, but it's still new because I'm still figuring out the beats and I'm, you know, I wrote it from one perspective. So now let me write it from a different perspective. So, mm-hmm. and you can always, you know, if it's an old joke, you can always say a new line and now there's new life into that joke, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. 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 I totally understand that. That's yeah. Um, so for you, Brent, um, who are your favorite comedians now, nowadays, stand up or otherwise? Um, I think a guy that I go out of my way to watch regularly would be somebody like Nate Bargatze. Oh, mm-hmm. um, yep, yep. Just his late night specials and like. If you if you notice about him, like all his comedy is clean, I you know, I think for the most part, but you don't notice that. Mm. Uh, and but it's still just as funny as somebody that's, you know, that's a quote unquote dirty comic or whatever. So there's there's something about him where it's it's like material so relatable, and it's also like man, what I didn't why didn't I think of that type of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Where the the idea is so simple, but if it was so simple, we would have all thought of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So and... I like him or somebody like Gary Goldman who oh yeah can take a, a premise and you know exhaust it like he is wringing the jokes dry. There's no more jokes left in that premise. <laughs> right. 
So those, um, uh, yeah. How are those your top two, or you have more? Just I, I guess contemporary ones. Chappelle is always somebody that I have loved mm-hmm. since I was a little kid. My you know my brother would rent the VHS tapes of Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle, and I had uh, you know when I first saw them, I was like, this guy's just talking the whole time. Like that's boring. <laughs> and then you know once you see Chappelle's show or you see his stand up. Like there's there's a way about Dave Chappelle, especially recently, where you can take a topic that's, you know, would get anybody written up in you know, and one of the you know websites where he's being whatever, but he can still take a topic and make it so funny, and uh, so relevant, and but also at the same time just make it so silly, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of like. Uh, not, not really a heavy topic, but I also like Jim Gaffigan a lot because he's writing about he's writing about nothing, but it's everything. It's about food. I mean, it's about you know stuff like that. Where it's, it's Jim Gaffigan's not saying anything that's making anybody change their belief system, right? Which I think you need those comedians too because sometimes you watch comedy or you go out to a show to not have to think about everything else that's wrong in life. Right. Sometimes you just want to laugh at hot pockets. Right. Exactly. Or waiting in line at Disney world, you know, it's just, yeah, I understand that. I totally get that. And I feel that way too. I saw Jim Gaffigan uh, perform, I think it was three years ago. It might be two years ago, but I remember thinking something along those lines of like, just like, yeah, this is so, this is so basic. It's not, sparking debate or anything creating controversy it's just like this is life and i liked that yeah it's it's very simple and it's you know jim gaffin probably for me one of the most quoted comedians just because of you know of nothing i don't know why it's <laughs> funny to me but it's just funny you know what i'm saying right so uh brent what of all time what is your favorite joke Either something you wrote or maybe someone else wrote it. Just your favorite joke ever. Um, I think there's a Richard Pryor bit that I really love. Um, it's called Wino versus Junkie or yeah. Wino and Junkie. What, and, I, you know, it's kind of not relatable to it shouldn't be relatable to me at all because I've never met a wino or a real junkie maybe i've met a junkie before but it's him doing characters back and forth of you know this this wino telling this junkie giving him advice and it's it's absurd to think that this one addict can give this other addict advice right um and it's you know it's just him you know just being funny with these characters and uh, there's an album that's probably one of my all-time favorite stand-up comedy albums. It's Richard Pryor. It's called uh, That N-Word's Crazy, and I'll let you figure out what the N-Word is. But it's, it's got that, and it's got, like, Wino and Dracula. So it's a Wino talking to Dracula. Yeah. I think that's on there. And then there's just some, like, really quintessential stand-up bits from Richard Pryor that, you know, I can quote word for word, and it just still makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, and the, then there's like dumb, like street jokes that I think are like hilarious to me. Like my one of my favorites is a is a dark joke. It's um, do you know the you know the the worst part about going down on your grandma? 
hit you hitting your head on the coffin lid. Oh my god! <laughs> Where, like the twist on the junk is so, like it's so much darker than you thought it was. You know, so right. it's like that kind of joke where. Uh, that I've heard that somewhere, and I just I never forgot that joke. Yeah, I don't so, think I will, uh, I don't think I'll forget that one either. Yeah, and that, that's I don't know. I just think that's really it's really funny to me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, those are all good jokes, and you like good comedians. I approve of you, Brent. Good work. <laughs> I'm glad that I have your approval. <laughs> so, uh. As my last question to you, and this is a question I ask every guest who who ever comes on this show, uh, the question is, if you were to give one piece of advice to someone who eventually wants to be in your shoes, what piece of advice would you give them? Oh, I could give you a lot of advice, I guess. Like, it's in my head of, like, what's the most important piece of advice? <laughs> uh, I, it's When I have people ask me after shows, of, you know, how do you – how do you stand up? I just say you write it and perform as much as you can. Like those two things go hand in hand. Like you can't, you can't write stand up and then like, you can't write it and be like, Oh, I have 20 minutes because when you perform it, you probably have seven right. minutes. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, there's no other way to do stand up and, and, you know, or, you know, act or, be funny or whatever you want to do than to just go do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's never been easier before to make videos. Uh, you know, I just watched that movie called Unsane. I don't know if you heard about it, but it's got, um, I don't remember who the, the lead female is, but it's got Jay Farrow in it. And I watched it and then I find out later that they shot the whole movie on an iPhone seven. Oh. Um, so, Literally, like we have a, a like a movie studio in our phone, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or you have a recorder and and your phone. Like, there's so much things you can do with your phone that people think, oh, once I get, you know, these podcast mics or I get this camera, I can do it. But it's like you can do it now, like, and nobody's gonna pay you to do anything unless you can already do it. That's just the landscape of. Thing you know, nobody wants to give you a show unless you've got followers from already doing your show for those people already. You know what I'm saying? So right. I I think if you have if you just want to do something, if you have a a dream that you want to you know whatever you want to do, you just go do it. You don't need anybody else to tell you to go do it. Very true. Yeah, that was perfect. I and I approve of your advice as well. Well, I I hope. <laughs> It helps somebody. Yeah. So, Brent, uh, if people want to either maybe see you perform soon or want to check out uh, your podcast, uh, how can they do that? Uh, my website is brentcomedy.com, and I have a whole bunch of uh, upcoming dates on there, and I have a whole bunch of videos uh, that I've made. Now, that's kind of like the new thing I think of, you know, that I'm venturing into is, you know, learning how to edit my own stuff. And it's, you know, cause making videos online, that's a different style than just making a, you know, a movie. So you gotta, you know, find people that for me, at least I found people online that make me laugh and I think are doing good stuff. And I, now I'm watching them to learn how to do it. Cause you know, being an online comedian and I hate even saying that, that's, 
kind of a new thing. There's no handbook on how to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I make, a, I'm trying to do more videos and those are on my website, on my YouTube and Facebook and stuff like that. Um, and as far as, uh, I used to be on a podcast. I still am every once in a while. I just got really busy, but it's called Rassle Mania and it's still going. My friends are still doing it. Uh, but it's about pro wrestling. So if you like <laughs> wrestling, nice, you can listen to it. It's, it's what our slogan is. It's sports entertaining. Um, <laughs> Because, of course, wrestling is called sports entertainment. So mm-hmm. it's just us talking about wrestling, and uh, we don't know everything, but we're going to hopefully be entertaining about not knowing everything. Yeah, I love it. Perfect. So BrentComedy.com or WrestleMania. Yeah, perfect. Well, Brent, thank you so much for calling in and being on the show today. Thanks, man. I'm looking forward to... Uh, to hear it and see how dumb I sound later. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Th- once again, thank you so much. I appreciate for being you for being on. And to anybody listening, remember you can visit us at our website at www.talkinglatenight.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Talking Late Night, where you can rate and like our page. And you can also follow us on iTunes, where you can rate, listen to our show, and leave us a review. So thanks again to Brent for being on the show. Thanks you uh, for listening, and we'll see you next time.